Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly <laughs> podcast. Anne's laughing because this is our second time doing this on camera, and it still feels a little bit weird because here I am, Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic at IndieWire in my temporary headquarters of Long Island City, and Anne is somewhere in the south of France. I think I wish. In the American Pavilion of Cannes or something We'd like that? We'd be getting ready. You know, I'm over by the pier somewhere looking back on a big uh, storm coming in. I, I'm really missing can. I know there are a lot of other more serious things going on in the world uh, than, than uh, our annual escape to the Riviera. But, um, you know, one of the reasons I'm really missing it, not only, you know, the croissant and, and the, and the rosé and, and everything and seeing all my buddies and hanging out and seeing some exciting movies, but, but the calendar itself feels disrupted just in terms of the process of how you discover movies and what movies are important. If, imagine last year if Parasite hadn't debuted at Cannes and gotten the buzz that it did and won the Palme d'Or and went on its merry way. What, where would we be? I think it's worth pointing out too that there's a difference between saying, oh, I wish I was in Cannes in this very romantic way, and you, Ann Thompson, IndieWire's editor-at-large, saying it as somebody who has been going, I mean, how many times have you been to Cannes? Just, it's just countless, and I don't want to go there. <laughs> but I, I mean, since, even- Since 1987, not every single year, but right. most years, yeah. So I think there is something to that as well. I mean, it's almost like, it's less about the kind of, the pure luxury of it and i mean look we i dread going to can every year even though it's exciting because you have you know to work your ass about. off we all we, do we all do. yeah the, the, it's a very intense experience but i also feel and this would have been my 14th consecutive year and i i feel like psychologically i've, I've trained myself for that period of time to just drill down into studying international cinema in a way that you, you can't do at home in quite the same way, or at least we haven't figured out. And so you feel that loss too. I mean, I would have been probably in Paris by now, seeing a few things early, getting over jet lag, that sort of thing. It's like this gradual ramp up to all this chaos. And then suddenly you emerge with this much deeper understanding of so many different factors. So we are in this really interesting moment of, okay, so how do we, how do, we do that? I mean, we'll so you have had a... this very interesting conversation with Paul Schrader, who's always got something to say. As you pointed out, he goes off on, on Facebook and gets himself into trouble half the time. But, but not love... this time. I said... <laughs> no, no, you got him. You got him. It was good. It's I on said, IndieWire instead. He... Yeah. No, yeah, I but mean, sometimes for... he will email you or me or somebody else in the film world and say, I have this idea. And then you see him post it. This time he wrote me and he was basically like, I have this idea. Netflix, Amazon, the Deep Pockets, they need to spend money on this all-star film festival. And granted, there are variations on these conversations that are taking place, and he's not tracking all of them, but I thought that there was a unique opportunity here from a filmmaker who has a movie in post-production thinking out loud about what the possibilities are when you take the traditional festival 
Well, cycle. he expressed Adam. very, very well the, the, the upset that he feels, A, not being able to finish the movie, but which he's going to have to figure out how to do, but B, the kind of buzz that a festival generates for a small title that doesn't have a brand and an, an identity. And that's the thing. How do you replicate that? And so I think he has a great idea. I think that I, I think there would be those um, Sony Pictures classics comes to mind that wouldn't be very happy about a big film festival being hosted by Netflix, but um, they do have the pockets and they do have the ability to create a, a forum for people to react to movies. And that's what we need. We need some place that with a, with a jury and with Spike Lee back on, he was going to be the head of the jury and can, you know, yeah, I think maybe his movie would have shown there, except it's a <laughs> Netflix movie. So it wouldn't have. Right. Well, if it could have been out of competition, technically it would have been allowed, but Netflix is Paul. That's a whole, to that's totally a whole other separate. Thing, yeah. yeah. Can't work for today. But, it, but I think it is an open question because so far what we've seen with virtual film festivals is that it's a, a reaction to the immediate challenges at hand, but it hasn't fully satisfied the, the need that festivals fill. And if we are continually in a situation where film festivals cannot happen as they have in the past, if this continues through the fall and who knows what next year looks yeah, for example, if you were to look at uh, Tribeca, um, they every year I'm tracking the documentaries. This is one of those things I do, and I'm very uh, careful about it. And and I, I, what were the docs that emerged at, at Tribeca? Well, they showed some uh, in their own way, but and they had an award show. And I wrote down the names of the the documentaries that won at Tribeca, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same. There's no, well, I no. can't call and ask everybody what they thought of the movies. What was well, the good movie? The very idea of the premiere experience has been wedded to uh, the physical encounter uh, that comes out of these screenings. The, You're the trying to review stuff. some of this stuff. I mean, what yeah, policies I mean, are what, you following? Well, let's let, let me, uh, let me be clear that the policy is one that I think we, kind of had to forge our, ourselves in a situation that was totally unprecedented when South by Southwest was canceled. And uh, we made it clear that we would still cover those films as long as filmmakers made them available. So on some level, we're operating in tandem with what festivals are doing, which is saying, you know, if you are going to make the film a part of this context, whatever that context is, we can be responsive to that. And uh, I think some of our competitors are doing that in different kinds of ways. I, I believe in an egalitarian approach. If you're going to make it available to us for review, you should make it available to everybody. But not everybody wants that. And for some of these smaller films, I think sales agents feel like, well, they can just do these deals directly with the sales, the, the, the distributor. So why even bother kind of subjecting it to this unknown territory? And the other thing that's going on is that there are acquisitions happening out of these festivals, these virtual festivals, but the distributors aren't announcing them. And it's just, it's this weird, if it falls in the forest, do we know that it even happens? You know, I think we, one we of don't the, have any context for, Hey, we bought this hot yeah. title. But I think one of the things that's missing here is online buzz is real. And we need to recognize that and figure out how to harness it in a more, direct way. In the past, I think it was almost seen, seen as this like antagonistic force that was working against what festivals did. Because if you went to a festival uh, with a new movie and it premiered within 
30 seconds, you would have the tweets and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, at Cannes, that was a real issue because suddenly the red carpet, which was later in the day than the press screenings, right, 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 right. bomb, right? So, storm. Yeah. so that was seen as a bad thing. But I think we have to recognize that now we live in this ecosystem where it's always around us and it is creating global word of mouth. So, what so do you what's do with happening that? is that that kind of discussion is happening all around streaming. It's happening around television. It's happening around Hollywood, God forbid, the Ryan Murphy series or uh, Pro and Con. You know, it's, it's happening um, um, around Little Fires Everywhere or whatever you want to pick. Uh, it was it's already not, happening for that. Stuff, it's not yeah. happening. Um, no, more. I'm saying more. Um, well, yeah, it's at least on the film Twitter yeah. feed. You know, film Twitter is paying attention to TV now. And uh, yeah, you are I mean, too. I I, we all are. I mean, we've all, I mean, I think it's on a continuum. It's not like this happened overnight or happened exclusively because of a, the global pandemic. But, but I'm watching think, fewer of the films than I would ordinarily be. I really am not watching well, any of them. I think part of it is that there With are the urgency. films to watch. I mean, well, we, aren't, we aren't being given them. I, I, I've, I've been watching festival films and that's a unique kind of situation because those films aren't widely available. But you're and not I walking think, around talking about it. That's the thing. That's the thing. Well, you know, I, I don't part have of as the many festival. To talk about it. Yeah. Yes, of course. But part of yeah. the festival thing is walking down the quasette and seeing someone and say, "Hey, what have you seen? What's good? What have you? What's in, what's for sale? What's going to be bought? What's the hot title?" You need all of that, and I don't see how you create it online. I think there there are ways to to at least come up with some half measures. I'll be curious to see, and this isn't quite the same thing, but what happens with the Marche du Film in June and how they create an online market that will include panels and screenings and all of this kind of stuff that I think will, on some level, have a, a, a more targeted kind of buzz in, in terms of buzz among industry colleagues who are making business decisions. But there might be something we can glean from that because... It, I, I mean, you, you make a good point. Maybe I should be telling the world about movies I've seen that don't have distribution more regularly, but it, it, it will require my peers at other places to be on that wavelength so I have somebody to talk about them with. They can't just be in a vacuum because that, that sort of, it's pointless. I mean, we need, we need some, some kind of ongoing discourse about new cinema for it to exist for everybody else to, to hear about it. I, I totally agree. I am, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange situation that we're in. I'm, I'm looking at the fall festivals and looking at the Oscar race and, and yes, we're all proceeding forward as though this is going to happen and, and it might be even, you know, important. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I just don't see how the films get, get vetted. I just don't see how we even know what the, I mean, we can I can, I can go on Twitter and say, this is good. Or you can go on Twitter and say, this is good, but we're on IndieWire itself. But I, I don't see the, the, the consensus building and, and the, and that group of people talking at Telluride uh, about the films. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what we happens. talked about that a bunch. I think that there is no way in our immediate future to replicate what that looks like. But I also feel like we aren't sort of just, frozen in time. There's a constant sense of evolution of figuring out how we can try to create that and try to create something that simulates what that might look like, whether it's a, a virtual premiere or it's discussions and Q&As. Because remember, a, a virtual Q&A and premiere was not very attractive to people 
a couple months ago, but right now it's kind of like we're, we're all in this together. So, hey, so maybe tomorrow night, can... tomorrow night, we're all going to be uh, chowing down on some free dinner uh, supplied by Neon to support local restaurants in New York and L.A. as we watch Spaceship Earth. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I can reveal here that we are also participating in this release as, as a kind of experiment. So uh, while some of these the, the businesses that are doing it are, are getting 50 percent of the revenue, our revenue from, from participating in this release is going to um, COVID relief as a charitable effort. But it's an opportunity to see what this looks like. How many people actually do tune in and, uh, you know, what does that infrastructure look like? How do you monitor the data that comes out of, of viewer habits and so forth? But I do think that there is something really fascinating about going beyond the the kind of traditional infrastructure of just buying a ticket to see a movie and buying a ticket to dinner and, and watching a movie, dinner and a movie being that package in a way that they wouldn't have been for some of these restaurants. And these are, well, these are great restaurants. I too. know. I mean, everybody is, is experimenting. Um, so uh, I had a chat with, with Tim League this week. Um, uh, and, and we, he, he, he tipped me that there's going to be more news and, and the news dropped to today. Um, so, but, but even Alamo with this VOD thing that they're putting up, um, they're looking at a lot of older titles. I mean, things that have already been established. I think the real question is now how, how new titles get established. It's interesting. You mentioned Tim League. I mean, you spoke to him, very soon after the news that he was stepping down as CEO and, and becoming, I guess, executive chairman, which so he's, he's still kind of running the shop, but it was a hell of a time to, to take yourself out of the day-to-day -day operations when an entire theater chain is shut down. And yet the VOD side of it is a fascinating pivot. And it makes you wonder what they, their sort of long-term game plan is for a theater chain like that, that has, built such a robust brand, but also one that's, that's very close to the ground. You know, it's, it's we were, we were talking pretty much on, on background, but I think I, I think it's okay to say that, that whatever they had planned has been slightly derailed by um, COVID and they will return to robust expansion <laughs> when yeah, the time I mean, comes. <laughs> he had a quote in your stories that I refuse to die yeah. for this or some, something to that effect. And that that's very much in, in tune with what, you know, that, that was a, a theater that was like sort of this mom and pop shop that grew into a national enterprise. And I remember going to an Alamo the first time I went to South by Southwest and thinking, why don't we have something like this in New York? And then, you know, over the course of several years, finally we did, because that experiential component and the relationship that they developed with their uh, audience, you know, while there were, there were some, some bumps along the way, did seem like something that created a really important model for how to continue to create new value in, in the movie going experience. So and that's going to be things, even more important now. Absolutely. So I have all confidence in Alamo. Uh, they didn't reveal all of their reopening plans. Um, I have all confidence in them that they will come up with something that, that would actually work and keep people safe. Um, uh, they're in no rush to open uh, anytime soon, even in Texas where they did open some theaters in San Antonio over the week weekend, which sort of fills me with like, uh, <laughs> you know, but um, I don't get it. Well, you know, it, it, the, the bloodshot was the one that pulled the, the, the redneck males, if you like, the action audience and uh, Tro Trolls World Tour didn't pull very many parents and children. And that makes perfect no. sense to me. Um, but but the but the question going forward is, I think that rooftops and parking lots and uh so there's this new effort that um 
IMAX put together with with Tribeca, which should be kind of interesting. So, yeah, so yeah, they're doing a big drive-in thing, and Tribeca's done drive-ins as sort of a, se- a discrete section of the festival in the past. Like I said, I mean, I hope folks like Rooftop, uh, the, these smaller organizations that have done outdoor screenings in the past, can figure out a way to get a piece of that pie too. Uh, last week, I teased it. I had just bought a car. I now am a proud owner of a Honda HRV. I was not paid for this. Um, in fact, I paid for it. But uh, but I am excited. Is to it take a new car? Honda. Did you it's buy a new an car. actual new it's car? A, we, it's, it's a lease, but it's uh, yes, we're very happy about it because we have some mobility options now and one of them could be the opportunity to go see a movie. So I, I'm definitely going to look at these kinds of opportunities and, and see what it feels, does it feel different? Uh, is there opportunity to do something with the, uh, with the drive-in that they didn't do before? I mean, could we have festivals as drive-ins with Q and A's and that kind of a thing where you're sort of just sitting in your car? I mean, it's th- that kind of innovation is actually kind of exciting because again, we can't just sit around and, and freak out that the industry is in crisis. You have to keep trying new things. So it's good that people are trying new things. You know, last week we spoke about Christopher Nolan and Tenet being this big open question of the summer movie season. And I still kind of feel like that question is, is continuing to percolate and nobody really knows how it's going to play out. If Tenet opens in July, it could be seen as this thing that saved the film industry, or it could be seen as this thing that, you know, created all, all you know, and it, uh, contributed to another wave in the crisis or something. And now we have the Spike Lee film, which is just going straight to Netflix in June. And having that film dated is kind of nice because it, it does give you this better sense of, okay, we don't have a traditional summer movie season. But we have a summer movie season with some movies that are worth getting excited about from directors in our wheelhouse uh, and, and films that have real muscle behind them, there will be some films to talk about. All right. So what's going on, I think, is that the studios are really stepping back and looking at what's happening at the various theater theaters that do open. And Warner Brothers is in, in a fascinating sort of canary in a coal mine position with Tenet. And the question is whether they stick to it and go for it or whether they back up and push it back. Um, and they're going to have to make that decision at a certain point. And Mulan is right behind them, a week behind yeah. them. And so I don't see how uh, Disney doesn't make some kind of real decision about Mulan a lot sooner than a week before it's supposed to come out. <laughs> you know? Well, as you when said, I mean... these things start to shift, they're going to, the whole deck of cards is going to fall down. Well, we haven't seen Mulan, I and mean, I know some people who have, but I mean, I assume that, that, that it is more of a family-friendly play. So if parents like and children are not comfortable being in theaters, yep. if, you know, then, then that's a serious issue. And, and exactly. that, that's one of the prime. So in all of these earnings calls and the, the Disney uh, presentation of, of its uh, vast uh, it's the movies is just a portion. It's like a sixth of their revenue or something. Yeah, just sort of very eye-opening. Considering yeah. how much Disney dominates uh, the movie business, um, they they are really uh, going to be figuring out what to do, and they're leaving the <clears throat> door open for VOD very much. Uh, clearly. Yeah, and the, all the studios the same, are now. But at the same time, it seemed like the Disney Plus experiment is not 
is not going as 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 swiftly as as they probably would like. They're doing very well. They got more people than than they expected. They actually are are benefiting from the situation we're in right now. But they still. But need, it's it's not the real issue is going to be no the fact that, that there's no content. Uh, yeah. to, to fill their coffers and there's going to be this enormous gap. There's a backup of product for the movies, but there's going to be an enormous gap of product for, for all the streamers. And yeah, Disney's going to favor streaming as opposed to I, VOD. I was talking about this, um, the, the class I, I was teaching this past semester, which just wrapped up and that the idea of the streaming wars, right? The, the term streaming wars caught on very quickly and has so much currency to the point where it's almost like a household concept. But I think that it's a little misleading because to me, it seems like it's becoming less about the streaming wars and more the content wars. And that's the word content is almost like a vulgar term for, for people who really love the art form. Scorsese said this many times, but I do think that it, there is something to consider here. It's a, it ultimately it's about what is it is that you have to offer, not just what service do you have to offer, but how good is this stuff? You know, that's why I keep coming back to festivals and why we really need festivals because we need some kind of quality control barometer in this situation. If all you're putting out into the world is junk or like libraries of stuff that we all are familiar with, it's it's not going to pave the way forward. And I, and that's sort of what I'm wondering with Disney plus it's like where, you know, I, I guess they're going to do another Mandalorian. That show has so much boundary pushing uh, technology. I, they could like shoot it in VR or something. Well, but the boundary pushing technology of Mandalorian is exactly the kind of boundary pushing technology that the entire industry is going to have yeah. to need in order to go yeah. forward. Uh, these LED walls uh, are, are amazing and expensive yeah. and difficult, but in a lot of these situations like Paul's movie, I don't think he can afford it obviously, but in a lot of these situations where they didn't finish production, that may be the solution is, is figuring yeah. out some VFX that are gonna get well, you yeah. to go. Because you can't have crowd scenes with a ton of extras. So right. what do you do? And, and that opens up, it's, it's less, the tech isn't just about sci-fi movies. Suddenly it's about, you know, period pieces or whatever. It's about anything. It's about any setting that you need to finish a shot. Yeah, uh, it opens and how up you a, can get that, how you can, I mean, maybe they're going to, they're just going to have to rent out these stages and let other people use them. There must be some way to share that. It's going to be an interesting question how that goes yeah. forward. Yeah, I mean, I didn't love Favreau's Lion King, but the way that they shot the Lion King in, in a virtual environment and, you know, with virtual cameras, wearing those headsets and all that kind of stuff. When you think about it, if you can figure out a way to mass market that tech or figure out, or at least explain it a little bit more to people, you could completely reinvent the rules of filmmaking, not just as a fun experiment to say, hey, we did it. But as, as a way to actually say, as long as we're in a situation where we can't gather, you can still make movies. So I'm super curious to see what that's going to look like. What it, Can animation sort of lead the charge? I mean, maybe we'll have a golden age of animation around the corner. That could well, be the issue, the issues, it's really interesting. Uh, back to the, uh, back to the technology of putting a, a theater in a parking lot. Apparently you, you can't do the full DCP computer number in a parking lot you can do something more primitive in a parking lot so it won't be new movies that are in parking lots anyway 
uh, going forward. But oh, it's so technology, in other words, what, what, what you're talking about also in terms of production, um, you know, you, what, what, what Disney can do with Lion King or Mandalorian is, is hugely expensive. And, and how, how many other productions are going to be able to get up to speed and take advantage of that right. technology is a, a big question. Right. Yeah. The, the, the barrier to entry is very high and uh, it really does affect the smaller movies more than any, just like everything else. In well, the yeah. The and that's the other, question. that's the other reality of the exhibition side of things is that the nonprofits and, and the small, smallest uh, theaters are a lot of the ones that are going to be the most affected too. You know, AMC can borrow more money if they have to. Right. It's harder for a small art house to borrow money if they don't have an established relationship with a bank. I'm so sick of the term silver lining, but the one that does exist in this context is is one I brought up with respect to the nonprofits, which is that they, in some ways, I wouldn't say they have nothing to lose, but they have more room to experiment than these bigger companies. And so whatever tools you have at your disposal, if you're a storyteller, and you need to reinvent the way you're telling stories, we'll look at that as, a, as an important creative challenge and make something out of it. And we got that question last week about, you know, uh, pandemic era filmmaking, what it's going to look like. I'm not saying we need more people to tell stories in Zoom or whatever. I thought that Parks and Rec, um, uh, you know, special episode that they did, that was kind of fun. But I'm, I'm just saying there's, there's stuff you can do in your immediate surroundings once you kind of... Put your look they're figuring out how to put theater up online you know there's there's new there's new productions being made and putting up no i'm i'm all for it in fact there's a plethora of stuff to watch there's more than there than we we can possibly consume at the moment um no but the but the real question is, is really a question of, of of what can be afforded and and what can what can be uh uh done if you don't have any any resources at all and and i think that a lot of people are going to fall away in that regard uh well or you could see the edge the education side of this stuff really starting to evolve i mean what are the next round of sundance labs going to look like are we going to have workshops about how to you know shoot a movie on an iphone and 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 you know do and edit in a, in a way that is you know based on your limited surroundings and limited resources you know, how to shoot in an apartment and, and light and all that kind of stuff. These are things that some people might have already kind of figured out on their own, but we probably need some new standards for quality control to make it work. So that's what I think is going to be kind of fascinating if we get to that point. And More of course, likely, there's and going to be a whole bunch of fabulous scripts being written and uh, yeah, we'll, yeah, see, yeah. we'll see what And then come we'll up see with. other stuff too. I mean, look, China's already shooting movies. They also have a state mandated government and the government has propaganda and all that kind of stuff. So you do have, you know, one side of this thing where it's like, you know, people are eager to get back to work. Just give them a reason and they'll do it. Um, but we just don't know how long that's going to be. So we have to, as everyone says, prepare for the worst, hope for the best and, and see what comes of it. So either we'll have this, you know, completely new approach to film production or we'll have some half measures and then gradually some aspects of normalcy will come back. Um, so next week, we're going to try the live thing again because it was so much fun. Uh, you and I, I loved will, it, actually. Uh, 
doing this with the video thing, but yeah, we'll, we'll be opening I liked, it up. I liked the so. interaction uh, with our, with our listeners. It was fun. Yeah. And, and yeah, some great questions. So we encourage people to come back. We'll be circulating the link for registration. We've settled on a time, which will be 1 PM next Thursday, Eastern. And uh, we hope that you tune in because it really does make a difference to have folks there, even though we can't physically see you, although we can see your names on the side. I, I think, I mean, and you know, we, we've done these live editions at podcast at festivals around the world and just the, the um, confirmation that somebody is out there in the ether listening to us rambling and, and disputing all these things, I think helps us realize that there, these conversations are worth having and, you know, whatever happens in the future, hopefully, um, you know, we'll get to that background here at If we were in can, I could strangle you in person, but we're yeah, not exactly. going to go there. You'll have to reach through the screen <laughs> somehow. I, you know, I was also going to say, we got to set up a La Pizza dinner. We always talk about the, the La Pizza at the start of can. So maybe, let's maybe do we it. can get that going. Let's do Anyone's it. Anyone's interested in joining us, let us know. All right, Anne, see you next week. Bye-bye, Eric. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.